Well, hello everyone and uh, welcome once again to our Kingdom Leadership Training and Mentoring. And uh, once again, well done. We are on Unit 8 already out of 10. And so well done for persevering. And once again, I really pray that uh, today's lesson is going to be super helpful. The, the title of the lesson today is Building the Church. And, you know, as I'm, I was going through preparing this lesson, I was actually reminded about one of our elders. One of our elders, whenever I asked him a question, I would get a straight answer. I would get a, a backstory and a picture. And, uh, and in the beginning, I was a little bit frustrated. Just answer the question or make your point. And then I realized, but actually, this guy thinks in pictures. Everything that he wants to describe or when he preaches, it's pictures. That's just the way his mind works. Well, if that's you, if you're the kind of person who loves pictures and thinks in terms of pictures, then I'm really praying that tonight's lesson in particular is going to be super helpful for you. Because we're going to be talking about building the church, the church that Jesus is building. And really what it is, is essentially 10 pictures of the church that we're going to look at. And then we're going to focus on what is the leadership lesson that we can learn from this picture and what is the leadership implication. So that's where we're going. I'm going to pray, and then we've got lots of ground to cover, so we're going to dive right in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity once again to study your word together, to learn together. I pray for every single one of the people watching or listening. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them, strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we would learn together, grow together, that uh, the leadership gift on our lives would develop and grow, so that we would be effective and fruitful in the ministry you've called us to. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On page 104 of your manual, and if you don't have a manual yet, please download it. It's free. There should be a link uh, in the description, and I'd love you to get one of these manuals. There's a whole lot of material, exercises, assignments, tests. I'd love you to work through those, and hopefully they'll help as well. So Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it's a famous passage when Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And then remember, Peter made that famous statement. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this revelation, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And then he says this in verse number 18. So I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And the power of death will not be able to defeat it. What an amazing promise. Jesus is building his church. Now that should be a great encouragement for us. Jesus is building his church. Yes, we get to co-labor with Jesus and we get to help. But Jesus is building his church. Now, I know I'm laboring the point, but for all of you church leaders and budding church leaders, this is a revelation that we need to hold on to. It's not our primary function. Jesus is building his church and we get to build with him. But remember, it's not our church. We don't get to build it the way we want. Jesus is building his church. And so today we're going to be looking at what does that mean? What are the implications of that? And how do we do that job better? So what is the church? The word church means different things to different people. Before we can build the church, we must understand what the church is all about. It's life and ministry. In order to clear up some of the confusion, let us look at the word church and words that refer to it or are synonymous with it in the New Testament. So the word church from the Greek word ecclesia means 
the called out ones. So that's what the church is, the called out ones, those that have been elected for salvation, called out. That is the church. It's not a building or denomination. Now, I know you know that, but it's worth repeating again. This is being recorded uh, towards the end of lockdown of 2020, where we've rediscovered this truth that the church is not a building. Suddenly, if you were part of that lockdown, you would have realized we couldn't meet as a church for months. And so we know this truth, and yet we live as if the church is the building. Suddenly we were not allowed to meet in buildings, and the truth of this was brought home. The church is so much more than a building or denomination, but rather a body of believers. Acts chapter 7 and verse 48. I'm going to read from the NLT version. And Acts chapter 7 verse 48, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. That's it. God doesn't live in houses. This is not a temple. The Old Testament temple, God lived in the temple, was a shadow pointing towards something more glorious in the New Testament. The church comprises a body or assembly of people called out from the world to be Christ's. We are still in the world, but not of the world. And you love that. Yes, we live in the world, but we are not to be worldly because we've been called out of the world. John 7 is when Jesus was praying for his church. In John 17, rather, John 17, I'm going to read from verses 14 to 16. And it says, I have given them, this is Jesus praying, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus was praying. That we would have that revelation. If you're part of the church, you're no longer part of the world. We're in the world, but we're called out of the world. That's what the church is. The called out ones from the world. The church comprises of people who are born again by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is that not everyone who comes to the building is actually part of the church. Remember, the church, it's not about church membership or an organization. It's those who have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. They have firstly repented. In other words, they've turned from their sin and self-centeredness to Christ. The heart of repentance is an authority change. Turn from being under slavery to sin to being fully devoted to the authority of Jesus. In other words, they put their hope and faith in Christ alone. And they are obeying Christ's command, becoming disciples by being baptized in water and receiving baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's who the church is. Those who have repented of sin are following Jesus, baptized in Christ and yielded completely to the Holy Spirit. So two expressions of the church in the New Testament are, and this is important to understand because as we read about the church, it's speaking often about two things at the same time. Number one, the universal ecclesia or the universal church, all born again believers who have ever lived are now living and will ever live. In other words, from Old Testament to New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, anyone who has put their faith, is, is, uh, has salvation in God, all of them belong to this thing called the universal church. For example, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number, I'll read verse 1 and then 23. Remember verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there it is, that's the universal church, this cloud of witnesses all the way from Genesis, men and women of faith who've trusted in the Lord God. In verse number 23, it says, 
Uh, we'll read from verse 22. It says, but you have not come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, but sorry, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. That's the church universal. Now, out of the church universal, we get local church or the local ecclesia, born again believers in a given locality. Now, that's the crucial thing. The difference between the universal church, that's everyone who's been born again. We now have in each different locality, we have the local church. Let me give you one example. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. Acts 20 verse 28. Remember, Paul was now going to call uh, some of the leaders from the church in Ephesus. And he says, keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So now Paul wasn't speaking, hey, guys, you've got to be shepherds over this whole, all the Christians in all the world. No, he was speaking into a specific city, in this case, into Ephesus. And he was saying to the elders, be shepherds of the flock of whom God has made you overseers. So we've got universal church and we've got the local church. Sometimes the scriptures include both universal and local ecclesia. For example, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, remember, this is speaking to Paul at the time he was still called Saul, and he was out to destroy the church. He was trying to destroy the church by going after the church in Jerusalem. The universal church, that was his mission, and it was worked out at a local church level. In summary, the word church can mean the born-again believers either in a local situation or the universal body. So that's what the church is. Now to those pictures. So we're going to study some scriptures together. I'm going to look at a couple of scripture references. What does that mean? But then I want to finish each section particularly with a particular focus for us as leaders. Once we've looked at the pictures, what kind of leadership is, does that picture describe? And then secondly, what are the implications for us as leaders? So 10 pictures of the church that Jesus is building. I'm on page 105. Picture number one, the body of Christ. Literally, the picture here is that Jesus is the head and we are his physical body here on planet Earth. The scripture often refers to the people of God being the body of Christ of which he is the head. Romans 12 verse number five. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 5. It says, uh, so, it is with, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. There it is. All parts, one body, and we all belong to each other. What my body is to me, the church is to Jesus Christ. We are members of His body. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12, remember, that favorite verse 
where it says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. I love that. In, the, in, in one beautiful picture, Paul has managed to capture the, the, what it means to be diverse and yet completely united at the same time. Just as our bodies are so diverse when you look at fingers, hands, toes, mouth, so many different and diverse body parts, yet perfectly coordinated and working together as a unit. What Jesus was while on earth, we are to be. We are his hands, feet, ears, eyes, etc. His activity on earth today usually takes place through us by his Holy Spirit. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I love that. What an encouragement. Jesus did these things as man, totally dependent upon the Spirit and not as God. Otherwise, he could not have told us who are humans to do these works. What he did here on earth, we are to do. He did these things as man in total dependence upon the Father and the Spirit. Isn't that an amazing encouragement? Jesus wasn't ministering, all those miracles and teaching, he wasn't ministering out of his deity, in other words, his godness as the Son of God. He was ministering as a man full of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 5, John chapter 5 and verse number 30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. This is Jesus. And he said, I can do nothing by myself. So in the same way now, we are his body, full of the Holy Spirit. By ourselves, we can do nothing, but full of his spirit, under his headship, we can continue that amazing work of Jesus. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. All members of his body are useful. So what does that mean? What are the, the implications and what is the leadership role? Well, just as in your body, your body is, is, is governed by the head. Now, the function of the head is to coordinate and connect and send commands to all of the different body parts. In exactly the same way, Jesus is the head of his body. We are under the headship of Christ. And if you've ever heard that illustration of the chicken without a head, a chicken can continue living for a while without its head, but it just runs around with absolutely no direction. In the same way, if we lose connection as a church, if we lose submission to the authority and leadership of Jesus, we can run around but accomplish nothing. Now, what that tells us is the picture of leadership here is headship. And just like your head makes decisions and coordinates all of the body parts together in exactly the same way, our role as leaders in the body of Christ is to help connect and coordinate to facilitate what the body needs to do. That's the leadership role that we have. Just as Jesus is the head, so under the headship of Christ, we to fulfill that role of headship, connecting, coordinating, facilitating the different body parts. So the leadership implication is function. Our job as leaders in the church is to help bring each of the different body parts as God arranges the body parts together. Our job as co-laborers with Christ is to help people identify the body parts. Are you a hand? Are you a mouthpiece? Are you an ear? Are you an eye? Help them find their place and role in the church under the headship of Christ so that even though we diverse, we can function together as a unit. So picture number one, the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful and powerful picture. Let's go to number two, the bride of Christ. Beautiful. Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians 
chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse number 25. 25 to 27 and then 32. Verse 25 said, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And verse number 32 says, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Beautiful picture of we, the body, the, the, the church of Jesus is the bride and Jesus is our glorious husband. The thought of the people of God being a bride is seen in the Old Testament. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The church is in union with Christ as she is being prepared. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse number two, it says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Isn't that beautiful? There it is. There's that picture of leadership. Paul is saying, I promised you, almost like the best man at the wedding, getting the bride ready for the bridegroom. I mean, <laughs> getting the bride ready for the bridegroom. It's not about him. He wants everything ready and perfect for the day. In the same way, Jesus is preparing us as his bride, just as a bride would prepare herself for that great day. So the church is to prepare herself for the bridegroom, Jesus. In Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 7. This is a great encouragement for when Jesus returns. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself beautiful the church of Jesus ready for his glorious return she does this not in her own strength but in union with the bridegroom so let's take a moment and think about what does that mean we're talking now the picture of marriage that the church is the bride Jesus is the bridegroom and I love that it speaks about Jesus just as Jesus like a husband loves the church gave himself up for her now remember there's there's one bridegroom Jesus but as co-laborers with Christ we need to adopt that same attitude that attitude of for implications for us as leaders means we love the church we care for the church we treat her gently this is Jesus' bride. In fact, one of the scriptures that's challenged me, I've just jotted it down in my notes, is from uh, the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 4. Remember when uh, Saul had just, uh, before he'd given his life to Jesus and he was out to try and destroy the church, it said he went about uh, with letters from the, the, the Jewish council. He was arresting Christians. He was there when Saul, I mean, when uh, uh, Stephen was martyred. He was out to destroy the church until on the road to Damascus, the bright light of heaven shone down and he heard this voice. And it says in uh, verse number four, it says, He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Me. That's amazing. Paul was running around persecuting the church. He was trying to destroy the church. And yet this voice from heaven of Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, if you touch the church, you're touching Jesus. Whew. Implications for us as leaders, we treat the church 
as, as she is, the bride of Christ, with absolute reverence and purity and honor. Because you mess with the church, you're messing with Jesus. This truth needs to impact on our hearts. As leaders, we call to love, to care, to be tender, because this is the bride of Jesus. So picture number three. Let's, uh, bottom of page 106, is the church as a building, God's dwelling place. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 21 and 22. And it says, we are carefully joined together in him, in Jesus, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Beautiful, being built together, living stones built together so that God can dwell among us by his spirit. The church, us as believers, is the dwelling place of God. It's not a building, not a building, but rather I love uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Where it says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now, this is a beautiful picture once again. Uh, I mean, we as members of the church are like living stones, like bricks that Jesus is taking, building together. Now, once again, our job as leaders is to co-labor with Christ. There's a big difference between a pile of bricks and a building. A pile of bricks, each brick has been taken by the bricklayer and connected in perfectly to become a useful and glorious building. In the same way, as we build with Jesus, as people are added to the church, we help them find their place in community, in covenant, in function, so that they become part of this glorious building that Jesus is building. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and temple, the buildings were for God, His place of rest where His name would dwell. In the New Testament, our bodies are His temple or dwelling place. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, chapter 6 verse 19, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And I was, this is the new temple. We together, in our togetherness, become that temple in which God dwells by His Spirit. During the giving of the law, on Mount Sinai, the Lord descended on it in fire. There was fire above the roof of God's building during the inauguration of the tabernacle. When Solomon was inaugurating the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. When the Lord empowered the church, remember Acts chapter 2, fire comes down and settles on all the believers' heads. God's new building. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That continuation all the way through the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, fire came down, the presence of God. Now, in the New Testament, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, tongues of fire came to rest on the early uh, believers. God was saying, this is the new temple, the new building where I will dwell. In the Old Testament, buildings were for God. In the New Testament, buildings are for us, for our comfort and convenience as a meeting place. And remember that. There's nothing sacred or holy about the building. We are the building. The physical building is really just there for comfort and convenience. We are the temple of God. The church has something to do with building itself up. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. But each one should be careful how he builds. So what does that mean? 
leadership role when it comes to building. If uh, we're busy doing a church construction right now and the head of the builder is the building manager or project or even the architect, the one who designs and manages that. Now, what that means for us as leaders who co-labor with Jesus is that Jesus has a pattern and a plan for his building. And that's what we're learning about. He's building this thing called the church that looks like his body, looks like his bride, looks like his temple. And in the same way, our leadership role is to understand the pattern, like the architect, so that we would build according to God's pattern and purpose. And the implications are that we need to build carefully. And we're going to look at a few scriptures in a moment. What does it mean to build carefully? We don't get to choose how do we want to do an extension here or build on this or do that. No, no. There's a way to build, and as co-laborers with Jesus, we need to build according to His Word, by His Holy Spirit, in love, so that it brings glory to Jesus. So that was the building. Let's jump now to the next one. Carries on from that, the temple of God. Picture number four. We are to take care of His temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are the temple. Take a moment to think about that. We are the temple of God. Now, once again, huge implications. What When we think about the church as the temple, think about a temple, what's the leadership role of that? Well, the, the leader in the, in the temple would have been the high priest. It emphasizes the priestly role that we have as leaders. Now, of course, Jesus is our high priest. And we are priests, priesthood of all believers. And as leaders, we set an example of what it means. There's the priestly function of ministering to God, ministering to people. What does it mean to set an example of loving priesting? And then what does it mean in terms of uh, the, the implications for leadership? Is just to remember that the church of Jesus is sacred. Just as the temple was a sacred building. So in the same way, Jesus' church is sacred. And I think maybe just... Uh, just a caution here. I, like you, maybe have visited churches before and maybe you've seen things happen in churches before or you've seen leaders in churches before that you've disagreed with and uh, kind of clash of style or I disagree with that or, or this leader, I don't know. I would advise you to, to be careful about being too quick to criticize, too quick to slate, too quick to, to judge the church of Jesus. Remember, it is sacred. It's a, this, is, this is Jesus' church. It is His temple and it's glorious. If God wants to deal with His church, He will. Now, of course, we need to make judgments and we need to be wise. But what I am saying is let's never forget that the church of Jesus is something sacred and something beautiful. And we need to carry within our hearts that attitude of reverent awe and respect. Alrighty, let's uh, jump quickly then to picture number five. Here are the picture of the church as the family of God. We become part of His family by receiving Christ. Remember John 1 verse 12, to all who received Him, Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. We've been adopted into His family by His Spirit, through His Son, being made joint heirs with Christ by His blood. Let's jump to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse number... 15, it says, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba 
Father. This is beautiful. The church is a family. It's a family. It's a family. It's not a business. It's not an organization. It's not a company. It's not a business. It is a family. And it's so crucial that we understand so that we treat one another, that we see the church as a family. We become heirs through adoption with full rights to all the family inheritance. Verse. Uh, I'll carry on reading verse number 16 and 17. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. What does it mean to understand the, the, uh, the privilege and joy of being adopted into the family of God? We brothers and sisters connected together and joined heirs with Christ of the glory of God. What an amazing, amazing privilege. The family is to be well-managed, healthy, communicative, and a maturing unit, accountable, enjoying the benefits, secure, stable, mature. I don't know what, uh, what kind of family background you come from, but God's intent was always that families be a place where, where you feel at home. Family is a place where you can just be yourself. You can be authentic. You can be real. You can uh, find security and you build each other up and sure there's conflict from time to time, but there's genuine love and covenant that holds it all together. That's God's plan for His church. And as we build churches, especially as the church grows in number, we need to fight for this picture to see each other as family. So what are the leadership implications? Well, the leadership role in a family is parents. And uh, Paul understood this so beautifully. We, we see ourselves in the role of parents to father the church, to mother the church. Just, I've got two sons and, and in the same way, I'm to be a dad to them and, and to encourage them and to correct them and to urge them to live lives worthy of the Lord. In the same way, that's our leadership thinking towards the church. Have a quick look at what uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse number 11. It said, uh, not there. Oh, that's Timothy. Sorry, let me get to one. Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11. It says, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Verse 12, We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for He called you to share in His kingdom and glory. Paul understood this. The leadership role in the church, seeing it as family, means we become fathers, mothers, parents as we interact. And of course, the, the implications of that is that we treat one another just as you treat your family. Would you invest your same amount of love, care into the people of God in the church? So the church as family. Number six, the church as the flock. Yep, I live in uh, Zululand right now. And we've got the big five just up the road in the game parks, the lions and the, the hippopotamus, the rhino, the leopard, and all these amazing uh, giraffe. And yet God chose to call us sheep. Sheep are not exactly the most glamorous of animals. And yet there's a specific reason why Jesus calls us sheep. We are created as a community people. We, we are made. The defense mechanism of sheep is to flock together, to stay together. It's the isolated sheep that becomes the target for the wolf. And in the same way, we need a shepherd. We need to stay together. We need to be led to bring out the best in us. Once we were sheep gone astray, Isaiah 53 verse 6, but now we are the sheep of his flock. And remember what Jesus says in uh, John chapter 10. It speaks about being the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10 and verse number 3, 
It says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Beautiful picture of Jesus as our great shepherd and we are his flock. Sheep are to be cared for, led into green pastures and beside still waters. I'm sure you remember Psalm 23. I'll read verses uh, Number four, carrying on from that, it says, After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, what does it mean? Have you ever really contemplated the wonder of what it means to have Jesus as our shepherd to be part of his flock? Remember what uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. Remember the great revelation at the end of that psalm where David says, Surely. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's the revelation when we understand the, the beauty of being under the great shepherd Jesus. Now that's a picture of the church. Jesus as our shepherd, us living in his care and his protection. So once again, if the picture is sheep, the leadership role is one of shepherd. So as leaders, what does that mean? We see ourselves in the role of shepherd leaders. Now, I've seen uh, shepherds at work in Africa, and I've seen uh, videos and <laughs> pictures of shepherds at work in Asia, where this was, uh, uh, where Jesus was referring. And there's a big difference. Shepherds in the Middle East Asia area, they would go ahead of the sheep, and they would call the sheep. They'd whistle, they'd call them, and it was by their voice and by their example that the sheep would be drawn after them. What I've seen in Africa is, well, at times quite horrific where the shepherd would be behind and would use sticks and stones and yelling and send the dogs to bite and to drive the sheep. Now, that's not what Jesus had in mind. The role that we have with Christ as his shepherds, as Jesus is the great shepherd. So in the same way, our role should be one of setting an example, using your voice, the inspiration, not manipulation. Uh, as we lead God's people by the example of our lives, by encouragement, by our character, so that people would want to follow and not be forced. Pastors are under shepherds. Remember 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Remember that sheep are led and must never seek to lead the shepherds. In other words, the shepherds, we have a role and sheep have a role to submit to that as well. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly be or would not be for your benefit. So leadership role, shepherd, leadership implication, leaders to model the leadership of a shepherd. Uh, Dudley Daniel used to sum up the role of uh, us as shepherds in the church. He'd said, love them, lead them, feed them. What's your job as shepherds? Love them, lead them, feed them. Beautiful. Let's go to number seven. Uh, the picture here is children of light. We once walked in darkness, but now we are the light and must have nothing to do with darkness. We are to walk in openness, honesty, and truth. 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. 
It says, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There should be no dark areas in our lives or relationship. So here's the picture of a people of light. So obviously the, the leadership role there would be you've got to shine the brightest. The leader would need to shine the brightest. And the leadership real implication of that is to live lives of transparency, of light. There should be no darkness. I'm sure many of you have heard tragic tales of leadership who've collapsed morally, things hidden in the darkness. Another Dudley quote was, leaders remember we should always be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Living lives of accountability and transparency, modeling what it means to be children of light, bringing people out of darkness and into his glorious light. Picture number eight, a holy nation. The church is the holy nation of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The church is the Israel of God. Let me read quickly Romans Romans chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse number 6 to 8. It says, Well then, has God failed to fulfill His promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. In other words, it's not just about one particular race, but we as the church inherit that promise and are the people of God. God does not have two people, but one. We are Abraham's children, the people of promise. As such, we are destined to be blessed and to be a blessing. That famous uh, blessing that was given in the covenant to Abraham in Genesis. Remember, God said, leave your father's house, leave your people, go to the land that I'll show you. And verse two says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's it. The picture of the church is we are those, the people of God, the nation of God, the carriers of the covenant promise. And, uh, of course, the, the leadership role in all of this is that we are, I suppose, just as you had elders in the nation of, uh, of Israel. So now as leaders, we carry that tribal heart. And the real implication is that we be a people of big vision. We understand the bigness that God is creating for himself, this one new nation of those out of the, the world who carry the inheritance promise of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Alrighty, picture number nine, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. If I'm delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. We must build on truth alone. God is a God of truth. His words are trustworthy and true. He's forever faithful. He is true. It's impossible for him to lie. God only blesses truth. His spirit is the spirit of truth. His judgment is based on truth. God's word is truth. Truth sets free. Error must be dealt with in the light of truth. Truth must be the basis of all that we are involved in and are building upon. We are to practice the, the truth, to live in it. In other words, the pillar, I love that. Once again, it speaks about building strong the pillar and foundation of 
truth. In uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for me, this is such a, such a promise, but such a warning as well. It says, because of God's grace to me, I laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already we, we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person work has any value. Yikes! The pillar and foundation of truth. We have no choice. God has called us to build on truth. And remember what Jesus said about the wise and the foolish uh, builder. The wise man built his house on the rock of truth, obedience to Jesus, whereas the foolish man heard the truth, didn't build on truth. And when the testing came, it all came tumbling down. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And then lastly, oh, time to finish. Final picture number 10, the army of God. Let me read Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12. Remember the famous armor of God. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Although we're not specifically called an army in scriptures, it is well-known and taught metaphor. The world is a battlefield, not a playground, and we are exhorted to fight the good fight of faith within this world. We are also encouraged to put on the whole armor of God, implying that we protect ourselves from the schemes and evils of this world. Of course, this battle is not literal. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the evils of the wicked one. And obviously, we're talking army. The picture that comes to mind there would be of a general, someone who leads the troops into battle, who's thinking army, thinking training and equipping the troops, which means the leadership implications is that we train up the, those in the church to learn to stand strong, to learn to fight, to learn to hold on in the midst of difficulty. So there we have it, 10 pictures. And the beauty of this is these pictures should guard and help us in our leadership of the church. As we see the church as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building, the family, the temple, the holy nation. Each one of these pictures should shape and fashion not just our understanding of the church, but our understanding of how we lead and the implications for our leadership. To sum up the matter, all of these words, synonyms and comparisons give us some idea of what God is building and that He's calling us to be co-laborers together with Him to build. Let us make sure as we study God's Word and build His church with Him that we do it His way in accordance with His Word, lest we build in vain. And remember, let me finish with uh, Psalm 127, that famous psalm, where it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. And I'm sure, just like me, we want to give our lives, not wasting them, but giving our lives to building this glorious thing with Jesus called the church. We don't want to waste our time. We want to do it in accordance with the patterns and pictures and plans that God has given us. Sure, there we have it. I hope it's been helpful. Once again, may God bring clarity. May God anoint you. May God empower you. Let's go and build His church together. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>